Hello and welcome to another episode of Covenant and Conversation with me, Rabbi Sachs. In each new episode, we'll explore a Jewish idea from the Hebrew Bible based on the Torah reading of the week. The Birth of Hope This week we read the Tochacha, the terrifying curses, warning of what would happen to Israel if it betrayed the divine mission. We read a prophecy of history gone wrong. If Israel loses its way spiritually, say the curses, it will lose physically, economically and politically also. The nation will experience defeat and disaster. It will forfeit its freedom and its land. The people will go into exile and suffer persecution. Customarily, we read this passage in the synagogue sotto voce, in an undertone, so fearful is it. It's hard to imagine any nation undergoing such catastrophe and living to tell the tale. Yet the passage doesn't end there. In an abrupt change of key, we then hear one of the great consolations of the Bible. Yet in spite of this, when they're in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away. I will for their sakes remember the covenant of their ancestors whom I brought forth out of Egypt in the sight of the heathen that I might be their God, I am the Lord. This is a turning point in the history of the human spirit. It's the birth of hope. Not hope of a, as a dream, a wish, a desire, but as the very shape of history itself, the arc of the moral universe, as Martin Luther King put it. God is just. He may punish, he may hide his face, but he will not break his word. He'll fulfill his promise. He'll redeem his children. He'll bring them home. Hope is one of the very greatest Jewish contributions to Western civilization, so much so that I've called Judaism the voice of hope in the conversation of humankind. In the ancient world, there were tragic cultures in which people believed that the gods were at best indifferent to our existence at worst, actively malevolent. The best humans can do is avoid their attention or appease their wrath. In the end, though, it's all in vain. We're destined to see our dreams wrecked on the rocks of reality. The great tragedians were Greek. Judaism produced no Sophocles or Aeschylus, no Oedipus or Antigone. Biblical Hebrew didn't even contain a word that meant tragedy in the Greek sense. Modern Hebrew had to borrow the word, hence tragedia. Then there are secular cultures, like the contemporary West, in which the very existence of the universe of human life and consciousness is seen as a result of a series of meaningless accidents intended by no one with no redeeming purpose. All we know for certain is that we're born, we live, we die, and it'll be as if we had never been. Hope is not unknown in such cultures, but it's what Aristotle defined as a waking dream, a private wish that things might be otherwise. As seen through the eyes of ancient Greece or contemporary science, there's nothing in the texture of reality or the direction of history to justify belief that the human condition could be other and better than it is. Judaism is not without some expression of this mood. We find it in the opening chapters of the book of Kohelet. For its author, time is cyclical. What has been will be. History is a set of eternal recurrences. Nothing ever really changes. Kohelet says what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. 
Kohelis, though, is a rare voice within Tanakh. For the most part, the Hebrew Bible expresses a quite different view, that there can be changes in the affairs of humankind. We're summoned to the long journey, at whose end is redemption and the messianic age. Judaism is the principled rejection of tragedy in the name of hope. The sociologist Peter Berger calls hope a signal of transcendence, a point at which something beyond penetrates into the human situation. There's nothing inevitable or even rational about hope. It can't be inferred from any facts about the past or present. Those with a tragic sense of life hold that hope is an illusion, a childish fantasy, and that a mature response to our place in the universe is to accept its fundamental meaninglessness and cultivate the stoic virtue of acceptance. Judaism insists otherwise, that the reality that underlies the universe isn't deaf to our prayers, blind to our aspirations, or indifferent to our existence. We're not wrong to strive to perfect the world, refusing to accept the inevitability of suffering and injustice. We hear this note at key points in the Torah. It occurs twice at the end of Genesis, when first Jacob, then Joseph, assure the other members of the covenantal family that their stay in Egypt won't be endless. God will honour his promise and bring them back to the promised land. We hear it again magnificently, as Moses tells the people that even after the worst suffering that can befall a nation, Israel won't be lost or rejected. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you, even if you've been banished to the most distant land under the heavens. From there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. But the key text is here, at the end of the curses of Vayikra. This is where God promises that even if Israel sins, it may suffer, but it will never die, and it will never have reason truly to despair. It may experience exile, but eventually it will return. Israel may betray the covenant, but God never will. This is one of the most fateful of all biblical assertions. It tells us that no fate is so bleak as to murder hope itself. No defeat is final, no exile endless, no tragedy, the story's last word. After Moses, all the prophets delivered this message, each in his own way. Hosea told the people that though they may act like a faithless wife, God remains a loving husband. Amos assured them that God would rebuild even the most devastated ruins. Jeremiah bought a field in Anatot to assure the people that they would return from Babylon. Isaiah became the poet laureate of hope in visions of a world at peace that have never been surpassed. Of all the prophecies of hope inspired by Vayikra 26, none is as haunting as the vision in which Ezekiel saw the people of the covenant as a valley of dry bones, but heard God promise to bring us back to the land of Israel. No text in all of literature is so evocative of the fate of the Jewish people after the Holocaust, before the re- its rebirth in 1948 as the state of Israel. Almost prophetically, Naftali Hertz Imber alluded to this text in his words for the song that became Israel's national anthem. He wrote, Od lo avda tikvatenu, our hope is not yet lost. Not by accident, 
is Israel's national anthem called Hatikva, the hope. Where does hope come from? Berger sees it as a constitutive part of our humanity. Human existence, he says, is always oriented toward the future. Man exists by constantly extending his being into the future. An essential dimension of this futurity of man is hope. It's through hope that men overcome the difficulties of any given here and now. And it's through hope that men find meaning in the face of extreme suffering. Hope empowers us to take risks, engage in long-term projects, marry and have children, and refuse to capitulate in the face of despair. Hope emerged as part of the spiritual landscape of Western civilization through a quite specific set of beliefs that God exists, that he cares about us, that he's made a covenant with humanity and a further covenant with the people he chose to be a living example of faith. That covenant transforms our understanding of history. God has given his word and will never break it, however much we may break our side of the promise. Without these beliefs, we would have no reason to hope at all. History, as conceived in today's parasha, is not utopian. Faith doesn't blind us to the apparent randomness of circumstance, the cruelty of fortune, or the seeming injustices of fate. No one reading Vaikra 26 can be an optimist, yet no one sensitive to its message can abandon hope. Without this, Jews and Judaism wouldn't have survived. Without belief in the covenant and its, its insistence, yet in spite of this, there might have been no Jewish people after the destruction of one or other of the temples, or indeed after the Holocaust itself. It's not too much to say the Jews kept hope alive and hope kept the Jewish people alive. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening. You can download a written version of my commentary and explore all my additional content by visiting www.rabbisax.org. This year, we also have an accompanying family edition of Covenant and Conversation aimed at connecting children and teenagers with these ideas and thoughts. For a family edition discussion sheet on this week's parasha, please go to www.rabbisax.org/cc/family-edition. Family Edition.